I'm so glad you're here. And this is one of the, for me, one of the most important weeks usually. Uh, sometimes it's next week. This year it's kind of played out where this is uh, that week where I just want to lay out, not in detail, not, not in any very official way, but just a, an idea of what you ought to be thinking about and, and what we need to be thinking about this whole coming year. And so it's got Calvary's Focus 2019. Um, and, and guess what? Calvary's Focus in 2019 is going to be the same thing it's been all along. Win the lost, grow the saved. Amen? We want to evangelize and edify everybody we can find, okay? Evangelize them, bring them to know Christ. Edify them, teach them, grow them, help them be stronger, help Calvary become stronger. That's what we want to do. We want to do that as individuals. We want to do that as a church and all the things we do. And so it is an ongoing uh, 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 mission. It's an ongoing uh, uh, thinking to always be getting better. It's good, better, best. Never let it rest till the good is better and the better is best. And when you get to the best, things change. So you got to go back to trying to make the good, better, and the better, best, right? So it, that's just a constant. That's what living is like. If you ever think, oh, I've finally got it. I've arrived and I can coast, you're in trouble. Um, the, the minute you start coasting, you start dying. So we, we want to keep moving forward, and we're going to be doing that in 2019. I'll just tell you a couple of things at the end of the sermon that you need to be looking out for and get involved with. I will give you a hint. We want to put the gospel in every home in Augusta County in 2019 in one day. And we're going to do that. And I'll tell you how later. And, and the reason I'm willing to brag about that is I got very little to do with that. But we got some good people that are going to be a part of that. And we need everybody to be a part of that. Obviously, we can't do that uh, by ourselves. But anyway, so I want you to open your Bibles. Hebrews 12. This is a, probably a familiar passage to you. And it is certainly, uh, uh, I always hate it when preachers say this and yet I do it all the time. But it is one of my favorite passages. This, there's a lot in a few verses here. And in fact, I, I wish I could go to verses 3 and 4. Um, I, I, I may uh, mention those. I don't know. But 1 and 2, I'm going to certainly look at a little bit carefully today. Would you stand up with me? We're going to read these verses. They're, my voice cracked. <laughs> Let me take a sip of water. It might lubricate it. So. It's always silly to say it'll lubricate it because you don't run it past your vocal cords. You'd die. Um, but anyway, sorry, facts. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you pray with me? God, in Jesus' name and by his authority, we step into your throne room. Lord, indeed, I got a lot of ideas based on the things I've read and studied about this passage. But Lord, my ideas do not matter, but your ideas do. And so, Lord, we pray that we would understand this text, that you would allow me to, to faithfully transmit what it means. But then, Lord, taking what it means and applying it to our lives. And Lord, you know how desperately I need help in both those things. So I pray for myself. I pray for the listener that they would hear the spirit and not the lies of our enemy who will try to twist and distort scripture to his own end and to his own goals. And so, Lord, help us to hear clearly what you're saying to the church and may the church hear clearly 
what you want us to do and that Lord then may we be faithful in doing Lord we pray right now with sincerity of heart and if you can pray this prayer you can say it in your heart after me Lord if you speak me to me today I will obey in Jesus name we thank you for your protection your covering we ask you to rebuke our enemy that we will have freedom to hear clearly and to understand the wonderful things in your word in Jesus name amen y'all can be seated it's an interesting passage to me for several reasons one is is because it's an artificial break there to say 12 1 it ought to be uh, 11 uh, whatever the last verse was 1141 uh, instead of 12 1 it, it just continues the thought but I'll come back to that but I, but you notice in the reading if even if you never heard that before he says one of the main uh, verbs in there is to run a race to run with patience a race set before us or with endurance this race before us and I got to thinking about that race and and I am I have never been fast a day in my life you can ask my wife I move slow uh, I, I seem fast because I talk fast and and it's hard for me to sit still sometimes but but I'm, I'm very slow in in processing and moving through things and and I think about three different races two I was involved in and one I witnessed that had different motivations for victory um, one of them, I was already running. I was a lot more fit than I am now. Uh, I was in school, uh, and in and, and, and our school, you had to stay physically fit. If you didn't pass a physical test, uh, every semester you had to do exercise and record what you did and make certain PE points is what they called it. They didn't have phys ed at the school, so they, either you were fit enough to pass the test or you had to do points. I did points for three years. Um, not because I wasn't fit, but because I am stiff as a board and I couldn't stretch far enough to touch my toes, so I'd fail every time, and they'd make me do stuff. So I ran a couple miles a day. I was working out weights. I played basketball every day. I, I, I'm very fit. So some guys got together and said, hey, let's do a, a 10K run, a 6.2-mile run, if you're familiar with races. Our campus was kind of big, and we'd run off of We went through these trails. Had a bunch of runners there. Uh, we had a hill we called Upchuck Hill because nobody yet has run up that hill without throwing up. It's an awesome hill. Um, and so... Uh, so, so we did this six-mile race, and we're coming close to the end, and I don't know a Christian way to say this, but there was a guy in front of me that nobody liked, and I certainly wasn't going to let him beat me. I'm like, if that dude beats me, I'm going to be the laughing stock at the school. No way. So I took off. I gave it every. I mean, I've already run almost six miles. I should have been tired, but, man, I was motivated, and I beat that dude. I even heard people say, what happened to Stuart? Look at him take off. Well, I didn't want that dude to beat me. I didn't want to be known as that. I was motivated by jealousy and pride. That's a bad motivation, but it motivated me to win, but that'll wear out after a while. You know what I'm saying? Another time I saw a race one that shouldn't have been won. It was my son. I don't know. He was 10, 11 years old. After church one Sunday, hey, we're going to play football in the churchyard. Y'all want to come back? So we went home, ate lunch, put on our jeans. We came back. And we're playing football. And we had a guy in our church at that time. He's a master diver in the Navy. He's retired. He's mission-specific uh, disabled, which means he couldn't run with SEAL 6 anymore. Uh, but he, at that time, he was, uh, uh, he, was just a, he was a master diver. He's doing a bunch of different stuff. Uh, let me just tell you, he could cover his chest in medals, ribbons, and he still had that many left in the drawer at home. He would change them out for whoever he was talking to uh, where he went. Awesome dude. I mean, awesome, awesome dude. So he's out there playing football with us. And my son goes out for a pass, and I'm quarterback, and I throw it to Ian, and he catches it. And he takes off for the goal line, and Jeff takes off after him. 
My son has never run fast a day in his life up to this. I promise you. He looked like he was dragging a wagon everywhere he went. And he took off and beat him to the goal line and got a touchdown. So we get in the car, go home. I said, Ian, you beat Mr. Barung to the goal line. That was pretty awesome. He goes, yep. I said, how'd you do that? Never seen you run that fast. He said, I looked over my shoulder and he had on his war face. And I knew I didn't want him to catch me. <laughs> so he was motivated by fear. <laughs> and it caused him to cross the line. And fear is a great motivator. It might not be the best. My cousin who was a cop. He's like 6'2", 6'3", about 400 pounds. And one night he was going out to the bars to uh, sit there. And at 2 o'clock, if it, they served a drink, he'd shut them down. So he's strapping a thirty-eight revolver to his ankle because back then that's that's basically what they carried. And his wife looked at this 400-pound man and said, how are you going to reach that if you need it? He said, honey, a scared man do a lot of things. <laughs> so uh, he didn't have to reach for it, thank God. But, but, but fear can motivate you. It might not be the best motivation, but it motivates you. But the greatest motivation I ever saw, it was the very first time I ran what's called the Cooper River Bridge Run. I said it like you would say Cooper in, in, South, in Charleston. We call it the Cupper, the Cupper River Bridge Run, but it's actually Cooper. And uh, it's, a, again, a 10K, 6.2-mile run. I had never run a race like that in my life. It was the very first time my brother-in-law was into running. He said, hey, why don't you run this race with me? I said, okay. So I went out one day and jogged around said, yeah, I'm good, and, and we ran. So it, 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 you ran a mile, then you hit the Cooper River Bridge. It was the old bridge. Now it's off the Ravenel Bridge. It's a lot nicer. But this bridge went way high and way deep, way high and way deep. And if you know anything about Charleston, where I'm from, that was the only hill in Charleston. It is flat. So you've got to run 10 miles a day. You're not going to run up and down those hills. It, it was tough. So somewhere about the middle of the bridge, I started saying in my head, and I did it for the rest of the race, one more step, one more step, one more step, one more step. Every, every footprint I made was one more step, one more step, one more. It's the only way I was going to get to the finish line. But an amazing thing happened. You ran through downtown Charleston, and you turned this corner, and several blocks down, you could see the banner in the distance, about a half mile maybe. And you could see the finish line. So that was a little bit of a motivation. But let me tell you what really motivated me. As I started getting closer and closer to that banner, I started hearing this. I'm like, what is that? And I looked to the side, and there on the sidewalk, the guys who finished first are walking back up the line of runners. And they were calling this. They were saying this. You're almost there. It's just right down the street. You're almost to the finish line. Don't give up. Don't quit. You're almost there. Keep going. And every time I read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I can see that scene in my head of those people encouraging me to finish because they finished. And they knew that they could encourage me to finish. Hebrews 11 is full of witnesses. It's an interesting chapter. It's one you ought to read quite frequently, once a week, every other day, uh, once a month, I mean, but as much as you can. Because it talks about great heroes of the Bible and the great things they did. And then it comes to a point in that chapter where it says, and others. And these were guys that nothing went well for them. They were sawn in half. They were killed. They were persecuted. They were left out to die. No food, no water out in the wilderness. A bunch of bad things happened. And it says, but they endured never gaining what was promised. In other words, God told me he's going to give them something. And they never got it until they died. They got it in heaven, but they didn't get it there. And it says, but they didn't quit. They didn't give up. Even though they never got that physical encouragement, they finished. And then we come to Hebrews 12, 1, and it starts with, Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And so what I want you to take home with you today is on the board. Focus on the goal, 
wins the race. A focus on the goal wins the race. And I'm going to show you in Scripture in a minute. But Jesus is the goal. He is also the encourager, as you'll see in this passage. But he's also the goal. He's both. He's the guy who finished the race and is encouraging us. But when we get to the goal, he is the goal. Many people think heaven's the goal. Heaven's not the goal. I've already got heaven. Jesus lives with me. But to know him and to see him is the goal. It's the reason we keep running. It's the reason we stay in the race is I want to get to him. I want to finish what he's laid out for me. I want to please him. And I want to win. Go ahead and win this. You win if you finish. You know, a, a, a six-mile run, there's no way I'm going to... In six miles, there was no way. First time I ever ran a six-mile... First time I ever ran six miles in this stupid race. There's no way I'm going to beat an Ethiopian dude or Kenyan dude who's running, you know, four-minute miles for six miles. There's just no way. They were done in 24 minutes. I was an hour, you know. And they're encouraged. I'm running eight-minute, 10-minute, 12-minute miles. They're running four-minute miles for six miles. How do you do that? I don't know. But yet they came back encouraging us. Don't quit. Don't give up. They didn't go, oh, look at you, you're not even, I beat you, you're terrible. No, they were encouraging us to finish because finishing is the goal. And let me just tell you, in the Christian life, you win if you finish. If you don't believe that, read the letters to the churches in Revelation. To he who overcomes, I will give. And some of those overcomers were martyred. Some of those overcomers didn't win in this life, but they won later. See, Satan promised you a lot in this life. I told you we went to Brunswick, Georgia. It was, it was warmer there than it was here, but it's wetter, so we felt colder. If you followed that, repeat it to me later, because I couldn't say that again. So, but it was warm. It was about 55, 60 degrees. We went down to the beach on St. Simon's Island, and we're walking down the beach, and you're seeing all these beautiful homes and all this. And I looked at Janice, and I said something that's always on my mind. I just said, you know, there are a lot of people, and they may not live for this, but... They live their life in such a way that they can afford all these nice things. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm glad for them, happy for them. Hope they'll invite me over sometime. Um, I, I'm, I'm happy for them. Yet they're striving in life for something that is a shadow. Something that's going to fall apart. If that is their goal, and I'm not judging that it is. God's blessed them. I know a lot of godly people that made a lot of money can afford that kind of stuff. And that's great. But my point is, if that's what you're living for, you're living for a shadow. You're living for something that's going to just disappear. It's going to go away. It's, it's a nothing. And we live in a world, I mean, when we see a beautiful sunrise or sunset, or yesterday it was so pretty, like we, we've been working for two days, tearing down Christmas, packing. Our, did I tell you our kids are coming next weekend? We are unpacking boxes from three moves ago. And we're like, we got to get this thing cleared up so our kids are going to stay with us for six weeks. You know, it, it's, oh boy. Um, it's going to be great. Uh, you know, so we were just motivated to get in there and, and clean up. And it's like, it's too pretty. We took a break. We, we rode out uh, toward uh, uh, Craigsville and we did the little uh, wetlands uh, walk around. And uh, it, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. And even in winter, you know, it was just, it was something to see. And it's a shadow because this is a fallen creation. When we get to heaven, it's going to be so much greater. And all of that is great, but that's not our motivation. Our motivation is Christ. But it also says here, seeing we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I don't know who's in your cloud of witnesses. I can name some of mine. Uh, the lady used to take care of me when I was a little baby. Her name was Roni. Uh, she took care of me as a, as, a, as a baby, as a child, while my mom did some other things. 
she's in that cloud. Uh, Uncle Dick's probably in that cloud. My mom and dad are now with the Lord. They're in that cloud. Dr. Burchett, Dr. Carpenter, they're in that cloud. Dr. Huss. Other people that I've known that have gone uh, early, uh, Steve Parker, who used to be pastor at Fishersville, who was on the pulpit committee, called me to my last church and got called him in the ministry. And, and, uh, and he came and was pastor at Fishersville for about three years and died. He got pneumonia one year and died uh, while he was pastor there. He's in that cloud of my witnesses. And what they're doing is they're sitting in a stadium watching me run my race and they're going, keep going, you're almost there. The goal's right in front of you. Don't quit, don't give up. Because at the head of those witnesses is Jesus. He is the chief encourager. Well, in this passage it says we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. He said, so because you've got these witnesses watching you, because Jesus is your goal, there's some things you need to do. And so here's our duty in verse 1. Our duty is to, number one, remember the witness. Remember those who are witnessing what we're doing, but remember that we don't want to disappoint them. We don't want to let them down either. We want to run with endurance our race. We want to finish well. We want to get across that goal line, loving God, believing in God, serving God, doing what God called us to do. And so we remember the witnesses. We see them around us. And he says, also lay aside this weight, the sin that clings so closely. You know, all of us sin, right? Whether you're saved or lost, you do things that God don't like. The difference is if you're lost, that's bad. If you are saved, you, can, you have a, a lawyer, an advocate with the Father. You go to the Father and say, Jesus' blood covers my sin. I, I repent of it. I don't want to do it anymore. But I belong to you. And, and, and Jesus, my lawyer, says, he's innocent. This is, his, this is him. And he points to his righteous record. And God says, oh, you're righteous. God can't even see my sin because of Christ. And that's a great thing. And so if you're lost, that's, that's the deal you want. The judge has offered you, you can pay for your own sin or let Jesus pay. So which one you want? Well, I took the other one. I took the one where Jesus pays for it. And, 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 and he says, so in this life, I need to lay aside the sin that clings to me. Now, all of us sin, and I said that to say this, but there's a sin that really clings. <laughs> You've got a pet sin. You've got something you, you really like. You know, um, it is against the law in Virginia to kill your own pet. Y'all know that, right? Like, that's a bad offense. Well, before that, you know, I, I just don't have the money to take them to the vet to put them down. And if they need to be put down, I had a 16-year-old dog, couldn't see, couldn't hear, couldn't do anything. And I had to put that poor dog down because that, that was what I, I, I could afford. That was the only thing I could, I could do. And... And that wasn't easy to do. And I had to lay him aside. It was a pet dog. And some of you have sin. You just want to keep petting. And you don't want to put it down. You don't even want to take it to the vet and let the vet put it down. But it needs to be put down. Jesus is the vet. You have to go to God with your sin and say, here's, here's what I don't want to let go of. And let him take it away from you. Lay aside, that's, by the way, Romans 7. You need, need to read that when you go home. Read 6, 7, and 8. 7 is the struggle of the Christian life. But he says there, and lay aside this weight and the sin that clings so closely. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says, having these great promises of God, 
but lay aside the sin. And, and in chapter 6, it talks about struggling and suffering and going through all this. And Paul talks about, I don't quit, I don't give up. And then in chapter 7, verse 1, he says, so lay aside the sin, having these promises of God. You, you need to do that. And then the third thing, after you remember the witness, you lay aside the sin, is run with endurance. Your, your version may say patience. That word patience, endurance is the same word. Uh, we think of patience as not losing your temper. That is not patience. That's not the biblical word for patience. The biblical word for patience is dig a foxhole and don't move. Don't give ground. Keep fighting. Advance on the enemy. Never quit. Never die. Die in the attempt. You know, don't, don't just surrender. You keep going. And so that's the idea of running. That's what I was saying. I was going one more step, one more step, one more. I was running with endurance. I wasn't running fast. And I wasn't running well, but I wouldn't quit. I kept going. Uh, no matter what's going on in my body. So run with endurance the race set before us. So that is our duty, to remember the witness, to lay aside the sin and run, and then he tells us how to do that. In verse 2, he says, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Now, that sounds like a catchphrase, and, and in a sense, maybe it is, but, but it, is, it is so full of, of great truth that you need to adopt that phrase. Because I, I, we did it all through Christmas. Remember how in those series that I was talking about in Christmas, that Jesus is God from eternity past and entered human existence. And then I love to emphasize, because we forget it, that what Jesus did, he did as a human being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if he'd have done what he did as God, we wouldn't have an example and we wouldn't have an encouragement. What he did, he did as a man. He stands at the head, not because he's, just because he's God, he's there for that, but he stands there as the son of man who endured the cross, who went all the way with the will of God and never disobeyed God. And he says, now you can do it. You can finish the race. You can keep going. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit that filled me because I've poured him out on you. And you can run with endurance this race till you get to the finish line. You getting that? You with me? You track it with me, right? That's all I'm after. You don't have to agree, but at least you understand what I'm saying. Okay. And so our focus is Jesus. He is the subject of our focus. He's the one we look to. I, I'm trying to stay away from my different sports analogies I like, but I can tell you this about a race. If a guy looks over his shoulder to see who's behind him, he's going to lose. He doesn't care what anyone else is doing. He's running for the goal, for the prize. He's keeping his eyes forward, and he's just going as hard as he can toward his goal. He doesn't care what you do. He's running his race. He's doing the best he can. He's doing what he knows to do. I know you hear stories about guys say, I sense the guy catching up to me, or I, I saw the guy out the corner of my eye over there on the side, and I caught another gear. And I know some of the times that, that's what happens in our life. We're, we're starting to lag, and we see somebody, and we, oh, no, i got to keep going, like my friend that, I said I didn't want him to beat me, and, and I had to beat him so that I wouldn't be embarrassed. I, I just had to, that was what motivated me, to, to catch another gear, to go a little deeper, grab hold of something tougher and keep moving. Well, Jesus is our focus, and when, if we're concentrating on him, you'll always have that encouragement. Time after time after time, as I read stories of different things, and uh, whether it be sports or athletics or Someone who achieves the highest level in whatever endeavor they're under, there's always someone who is encouraging them. It, it never fails. I don't care what the subject is. There's always somebody that motivated them. They encouraged them not to give up, not to quit. Sometimes it's a negative encouragement. 
And, and, and you know, I, I don't recommend negative encouragement, uh, but sometimes that's what people need, you know, that, that I'm going to show you because you said I couldn't, I'm going to do it anyway. All teenagers motivated by that. Mama said I couldn't, so I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and we get that, but um, that was just a joke. Sorry, guys. Um, but, but the positive encouragement, Jesus did it. He's our focus. And I had picked out this verse. If, if you want, goal and reward. There's a goal and there's a reward. Jesus is both. He is our goal and he's our reward. If you just turn back a few pages to the book of Philippians in chapter 3, very great passage about this. And I'd already picked this out, and, and just before I came in, I, I, was, I looked at uh, Dr. Lawless on Sunday, sends everybody a word of encouragement. And, and it's mainly to the pastors that follow him. And today's encouragement was the very verse that I picked out to read to you. So I said, oh, okay, well, maybe the Lord's in it, or uh, that's just one of those God coincidence things. But in chapter 3, and, and remember Philippians written by Paul from prison, but he got to stay in a house in prison because the Philippian people paid for the house. And so he wrote Philippians as a thank you note to them. But in the middle of it, there's a lot of cool things that he says. And uh, in, verse, in chapter 3, um, he, he starts talking about troublemakers in the church and evildoers. And, and, uh, and, and he says, some people want you to just do this in your flesh. And he said, if you want to boast in the flesh, nobody's going to outboast me, is what Paul says. And he lists out all the great things about Paul when he was Saul. You know, being a Jew of Jews and he, all the things that he kept the law, he did all that. But he comes down to verse 7. He said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. King James, I think, says rubbish. This actually is the word for human waste. I count it as dung, is what he said. And, and, you know, in modern sensitivities, we can't say that. The Bible says that. Yeah, it knows what we do. And then verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as done because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, Paul didn't have that just as a motivator. He that had that as the only thing he had. He didn't do anything for money because he didn't care about money. He didn't do anything for fame. He didn't care about fame. He didn't do anything for houses. Because he didn't have a house. He didn't care about having a house. He didn't do it to get a new Cadillac because they hadn't been made yet. He, he, he just did it because he wanted to know Christ. That was his whole motivation. And it says, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them, and there's the word, as dung, as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then look at verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Amen. Woo! Man, I get saved. I know the power of the resurrection. That's exciting. But you can't have that without the next phrase. And you will not want to say amen to that. And share in his suffering. Pastor Green told me that when they lead somebody to the Lord where he's from, they get them to acknowledge this verse. That they want to know Christ both in his power but also in his suffering. And that they must be willing to suffer for the name of Christ. We don't say that in America because suffering for us is when they don't put the right cream in our latte at Starbucks. I asked for a double decaf mocha with a twist of Madagascar cinnamon. And this cinnamon came from South America. And we get all bent out of shape and got to Facebook it. 
you know, face your problems. Don't Facebook them. You know, we are such wimps. And Paul says, oh, you get to know him in the power of his resurrection, but you also have to suffer in the fellowship of his suffering. Wait, hold, time out, what? I thought I got healthy, wealthy, and wise when I got saved. I thought I had peace and prosperity. Now, that's what the devil offers. God offers you suffering. But the end of that suffering is to know Christ and to be in heaven with him. See, I ain't got time to bleed. I got time to rest when I'm dead. <laughs> That's when I get to rest. That's when I get my reward. Until then, I got to keep going on. I got to keep struggling on. I got to keep fighting. I got to keep making the good better and the better best. And I can't let that rest till I die. Because God is done with me when I quit breathing. Until the day I die. My, one of my mentors was, had to go into a nursing home. So then he married somebody so he could get back out. But anyway... He married a younger woman and got out. But he was in this nursing home, and he's not pastoring. He's not doing anything else. That's true. I hear y'all laughing, and I laugh too, but that is absolutely true. Um, but, but he was in there, and he was seated at this table. Two guys didn't know the Lord, and they would cuss and tell bad stories. And one day, he went into the dining hall, and they had moved his seat. And, and he said, why is my seat moved? And the people there said, oh, well, we knew those guys... You know, they don't talk nice and all that, and you were a pastor, and you wouldn't want to sit with them. He said, put me back there. Those are my friends, and I'm telling them about Christ. He ain't dead yet. He might be in a nurse home, but he ain't dead yet. And I am not finished. God says you're done when you die. You say, what if you got Alzheimer's like both my parents did? Well, guess what? They're giving somebody an opportunity to serve and to minister and to show love and compassion and care. They still are serving a useful purpose for the kingdom of God and the glory of God. Amen? Yeah, you got to look at things with God's eyes, not our eyes. And so Paul says, you get to know the fellowship of his suffering in, in, in verse 10. And, but, he, but he goes on, so that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained, this or am already perfect. He said, I hadn't attained it because I'm not dead yet. Nor am I perfect yet, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And verse 13, brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Before I go to verse 14, which is the main verse, forgetting what is behind. We want to do that about failure, but those things are hard to forget, aren't they? Because you either win or learn, right? When you lose, you never forget it. But he didn't say forgetting the bad things in the past. He said forgetting everything that's behind. There are many churches you can go into and they can tell you everything they did up to that day. The question is, what are you doing today? Or as the great theologian Tina Turner says, what have you done for me lately? And that's what God's asking the church. What have you done for me lately? What are you doing now? For the kingdom of God. Forget what you did before. What are you doing now? You know, what we did last year is not what we're going to do this year. What we did yesterday is not what we're going to do next, tomorrow. What we did the last hour is not what we have to do the next hour. Every moment of our life is a chance to do for God and forget what you did in the last minute. And if you can't forget the failure and the things in the past, you will never move forward. They become an anchor, and that's why in Hebrews 12, it says, lay aside these weights. Let, to get rid of the sin, lay aside the weights. 
And the weights are when we get so tied to the past, we can't let go to move forward. And then verse 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made up my own, verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straying forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is he pressing on to? The call of God in Christ. He's pressing on to know Christ, to, to, to have fellowship with Christ, to be in Christ so completely that he is everything to him and nothing else matters. Because back in Hebrews 12 in verse 2, as I've already said it, Jesus is our example. He says, looking to Jesus because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the beginner and the finisher. If you're saved, it's not your fault. If you're lost, it's not God's fault. God's done everything he can to bring you to himself to save you. But if you're saved, you're not saved on your own. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. You can't buy it. You can't be good enough. You can't pray enough. You can't preach enough. You can't go to enough foreign nations to tell other people about God. You can't be a witness here uh, for God. Your faith is begun by Christ. And that's the good news because he's also the finisher of it. He doesn't let go of you. You'll let go of him, but he'll never let go of you. I, I, I don't know of very many parents, and, and we don't think well of them that do this, that have let go of their children when they didn't do the right things. Right? They're still our kids. You can't, you can't let go of them. And God says, we're his kid. He's not going to let go. We're going to be his kid forever. He won't let go of us. He holds on to us. And so he's the beginner and the finisher of our faith. And in Galatians, Paul said that. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you to think you can start in faith, you can finish in works? God started, but boy, I got to work hard to complete it. No, God's going to do that in you. Let go of your striving and let God, let, may your striving be in him. May your striving be, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want to send me? And receiving the will of God and walking in his will. And he works with you to develop in you what you need. Everything you've experienced in life brings you to today to do what God wants you to do. And he will not let go of you. He's the beginner and the finisher of our faith. And notice what he did. He endured the cross. Notice that? Now there's that word endure again. It means not to quit, not to give up, not to stop. But what was Jesus' motivation? The joy set before him, it says. What was that joy? Well, I can think of a lot of things. I, I find in Scripture at least two motivating things that brings Jesus joy. One is to please the Father. He said, I didn't come to do my own will, but I came to do the will of the Father. Jesus didn't come because he loves you. He came because he loves God, the Father. And he says, because of that great love, I'm going to come and do his will. And so he said, it's written of me in the book. It is written to do thy will. Have I come, O Lord? says that in this book of Hebrews. And so Jesus had that joy of knowing that he pleased the Father. And in fact, before he went to the cross, he prayed and said, Lord, I thank you that I always do the things you asked me to do. He pleased if I eat. In other words, he never disobeyed God. But I would posit there's a second joy. The joy of creating trophies of grace for the Father. Do you know that's what you are? 
you're not a big shot. <laughs> you didn't do this on your own. Jesus started it. He's going to finish it. He did it, and, and he brings salvation to you so that he can say, so when you get to heaven, you don't go, look what I did, Lord. I deserve to come in here. Now Jesus is going to pick you up and go, hey, look at this trophy I made for you, Father. Oh, and here's another trophy. And he's going to put us in the trophy case of heaven, not literally, but in a figurative way, and go, here are the trophies of my grace. And for that joy, he endured the cross. Well, we are called to endure, not so much here, but sometimes here. But I think about people that go out to the mission field and do things for, for God. What is their joy? Their joy is that one day they stand before God and they can say, I did what you asked me to do. That, that's our joy. Robert E. Lee said, duty is the most sublime word in the English language. He did it because he was supposed to do it, not because he wanted to do it. We are called by God to do what we're supposed to do, not because we like it, because we need to do it. There's a person in our church, and whatever they do, and I don't know exactly what they do, but they were telling me this testimony last week. And I was trying to avoid mentioning anything like this, but I'm going to say this one anyway because it was so good. But they went to uh, do help SEAL Team 6 to know, understand some things. Now, I don't, I don't get that, except that I know those guys are never out of training. They train the whole time they're in. And so they told me that their job was to help teach them how to do more with less, especially in the medical end of things. And just to get it going, they asked the group, this person asked the group, what motivates you to get through buds, to get to the, you know, not only to be a SEAL, but to get to this level of being a SEAL? And expect, you know, to go to warfare and do all the things you do. Expecting to hear something different. One of them said, love. And they said they were shocked. They said, what do you mean, love? Said, have you ever hated anybody? And they said, yeah, I have to admit I did. Said, would you have died for that person you hated? Did you hate them that much? She said, no, I, I wouldn't have died for them. Said, have you ever loved anyone? She said, yeah. Said, would you die for them? Said, absolutely. He said, we love our country. We love our family. And we love our teammates. And we don't want to let them down. And our motivation is love. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Why do we do what we do? Because we love God. Because we don't want our family, friends to go to hell. And if we have the love of God in us, and God so loved the world, we love the world so much, that we don't even want our enemies to go to hell. We want God to change them and make them a saint so that we can call them brother. You say, that's a far thing to think about. Then you need to go back and reread what Paul was before he was Paul. His goal in life was to kill you because you were a Christian. And God saved him. Can you imagine that first church meeting? We, we saw it in Acts just before we went to Christmas time. <laughs> Saul gets saved, who becomes Paul. And church said, I don't think so. And Barnabas said, oh, no, 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 he's good. There was a guy who believed in him, brought him in, and said, no, he, he's all right. I, I got him. No worries. And God turned a terrorist into a, an evangelist that's never been one like him. So he endured the cross. And so there's our hope. Look there in verse 2. And now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is in the place of power. He finished the work. In Hebrews 1, it says 
that God has spoken these last days through his son who did these things for us and is sat down. When the judge comes in, we all stand up. And when the judge sits down, we all sit down because the judge is now in the seat of authority. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the seat of authority. We call him brother. His blood saved us. His blood covers our sin. And he is seated there at the right hand of God. And so when we go to God, we have an advocate with the Father. And where he is seated is our home. We live in the shadowlands. I get that from C.S. Lewis. That's what he called the earth, our shadowland. These are the shadowlands. We get to heaven, we're going to go, finally, I'm home. This is what God created me for. Not for this earth, but for this place called heaven. And I enjoy this world. Listen, I love the things of this world in a, in a godly way. I mean, sometimes I love things of this world in an ungodly way. Too much of that kind of love. But I love football. I love hunting. I love fish. I love living here. God said, I, I made all that for you to enjoy. Yeah, enjoy it. But just understand, to sit in your home. Don't live for it. Just enjoy it. Because I got a better one for you here, and it's better than where you are, and I'm still working on that one. John 14, right? I'm going to prepare you a place. And when I get it done, I'll call you, and you can come home. That's why when somebody dies, no need to be sorry or sad for them. In Psalm, it says, the oppression in the sight of God is the death of his saints. Because he finished their dwelling place and says, time for you, come on. Got it ready. Everything's done. Turnkey. You won't even have to come in and renovate. It's going to be perfect for you. It's going to be absolutely what you need. And so our encouragement and our hope is that, that Jesus has finished the work, is seated there, and where he is seated is where we're going. And we'll stand around his throne. Well, what does all this mean for us? Well, first of all, I would say take inventory of your life this year. What are the weights that are weighing you down? What are the sin? Is it, is it clinging to something you should let go of? It's, is it a false belief in something that you should not uh, believe uh, anymore? Is it holding on to to something in the past that ought to just be in the past and forget about it. Do you want something, and here's the question, don't answer out loud or acknowledge this in any way, but do you want something different in 2019? Then you need to do something different than you did in 2018. Because insanity is doing the same thing home for a different result. And if you want something different, you got to do something different. I heard a story one time about this principal. A new position came open in their school. This isn't going to be exact, so if you're a teacher, don't tell me later. And uh, it was some sort of honor and advancement type thing, and two ladies applied for it. One had been a teacher in the school for 20 years. The other lady, it was her first year teaching. They both applied, and the principal hired the lady, been there for one year, and you probably know the end of the story. So the teacher had been there for 20 years, went to the principal and said, I have 20 years experience, she has one year experience, and you hired her over me, and I don't understand, can you explain that? He said, you're right, she has one year experience. You are wrong about you, you do not have 20 years experience, you have one year's experience repeated 20 times. And there's the difference. So in 2019, do you want to repeat 2018? Then keep doing what you're doing. But if you want something different, Look to Jesus. Get rid of the sin. Run the race with endurance. And remember, uh, very, very seldom is this a sprint. It's usually a marathon. You got to keep running and keep running and keep running and keep running. You go, where is the goal line? Well, don't worry. The witnesses know where it is, and they keep encouraging you. Jesus being the chief cheerleader. So the second thing I tell you to do is focus on Christ, and I've already kind of said that. 
So focus on Jesus and then run it with endurance. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop. What does it take to make you stop? That's what's bigger than you. Don't quit. Don't give up. And if you think you've arrived, you haven't. He's just prepared you for a bigger thing that's coming next. There comes a time where you got to sit down and rest a minute. But, but don't get stuck there. That ain't home. It ain't home till you die. Keep running. I said I'd mention a couple opportunities. Let me tell you one big one that everybody in this room could do starting at the end of next month. Uh, and I forgot the date. It's probably the week after Jason Lovin. So whatever that is, 21st, 22nd something. What is it? 20th. I can't remember dates very well today. Yes, 13th, right? So it's the 20th. So anyway, on that Sunday, I believe it is, or maybe the Sunday after, but we're going to start uh, our CTI. And this semester, this time we're doing it, we got one class. And we don't have one class because we didn't have anything else we could do. We have one class because we want everybody to do that one class. It's called The Way of the Master, and it's a way to take any conversation, turn it into a gospel conversation, and be able to share Christ in the way that Christ shared himself. And to bring people to know Christ. Now, why is that important? Because, and this is very general, nothing real specific. Because when Suffolk has a festival, we want to say, we all going to go down and hang out at the festival. Stanton, sorry. <laughs> they both begin with S, and I do this all the time. And I, I shudder to do it here, and I can feel myself turning red. I'm so embarrassed. I apologize. When Stanton has a festival, we can all go down there and hang out. And start conversations. And where are you from? Why are you here? Can I tell you something? And we can begin to be a witness. That's one thing. That's one thing you can do. So I want everybody here to know about that. Be looking for it. The announcements will be there. Sign up for it. We need to learn how to do that. It's, it's, it's different than anyone. You, it's not another Roman road. It's different than anyone you've ever taken. It'll also help change the way you think about all this. The second opportunity, and I mentioned it. Let me tell you how it's going to work. Uh, oh, there's three opportunities. Second opportunity, and let me stop myself, is called Bless Every Home. We're already signed up for it, so people are already doing it. And if you want to sign up to do it, you can begin to pray for up to 40 of your neighbors. This is all public access information. You'll know their name and you'll know the, their address, and you begin to pray for them. As you pray for them, and only you can see it, it's not like everybody sees the information, you can click that you're praying for that person. When you make contact with them, you click that. It's another level. When you actually can bring them to know the Lord, that's the last level. So if you want to do that, you need to be taken away of the master. And it's an app on your phone or on your computer, either one, that you can do. All right? Y'all understand that? So do you want to reach the community? Well, guess what? I can't reach the whole community. But if there's 400 of us that sign up for 40 homes, and I haven't done the math, that's uh, 16,000 homes. Is that right? 40 times 400? 40 times 416, two, three zeros. Yeah, 16,000. Yeah, don't shake your head no at me, girl. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Annabelle's going, no, that's not right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 16,000. If I'm wrong, she's right. I'm sorry. Y'all want to reach 16,000 people in our area? Sign up for Bless Every Home. Because if you don't do anything but pray for them, that's more than what you're doing now. Because you can pray for them by name. Okay? The third thing is called Saturate USA. And, and by the way, I said I don't have much to do with this because Dave Anthony is really helping drive this for us. He, he's just, he's into it. He's got it. He's doing a great job with it. And our missions team is, they're, they're on fire doing this. Saturate USA, I've already talked to Pastor Jamie down in Wayne Hills. We got to get in touch with all the pastors, but he signed us up. We are the lead dog. 
That means the scenery is going to change. If you're not the lead dog, scenery never changes. We're going to be the lead dog. So we're going to get out in front, but we're going to ask every church to participate. And on one day that we'll all pick together somewhere in the near future, not in, you know, 2030, but sometime in 2019, we'll take one day aside, we'll map it out, we'll figure it out, and we'll go to every home and we'll put in every home a movie called The Jesus Movie. And it's used around the world to share the gospel. It's the most effective movie ever made about Christ. We'll have information, all that. And we'll get as many churches to help as possible. Hey, you win them, you can have them. But uh, we want to win them all, right? So we want to put the gospel in every home in one day. That's possible to do. But it takes a lot of work, so we're going to work hard. Now, you just sit there looking at me like, you're crazy. I'm not crazy. It can be done. We're going to do it. But if you're not excited about that, go back and check your relationship with God. Because the first thing that happens when you get saved is you start caring about people that don't know Christ. I believe that. I heard a young man who's now planning a church in Boston, Massachusetts, say when he was 17-year-old, he came back from a mission trip, he was reporting to the church, and he said this, if you don't care about the lost, it might be because you are one. I went, dude, (laughs) 17-year-old prophet, man, he laid it out there. I don't want to ever get used to men, women, boys, and girls dying and going to hell. I don't ever want that to happen. And I don't want to make this church a comfortable place for people to go to hell from. I want us to know Christ and to make him known in the whole world. Well, he assigned us Stanton, not Suffolk, Stanton. When I make a mistake, I grind it into myself as well. You can tease me later. I want Stanton to know Christ because that's where he put us.